It's really good to see everybody. I want to thank you all for coming and being a part of class. I do want to apologize for missing last week. Uh, and actually two weeks in a row because I had the flu the week before that. So uh, it's really good to see everybody. Um, for those of you all who have not been a part of our class before, it's nice to meet you. Um, we're going to open with a word of prayer. Then we'll do a quick uh, discussion, uh, a preview of our uh, review of what we talked about the last couple weeks, and then we'll get into today's lesson in Luke chapter 10. So let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this food. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to study your word. You know each and every one of us in this room, and there's not a one of us here that don't have our own personal struggles that we're dealing with in our lives right now. We pray that your hand will be on us and help us and guide us and help us to make good, smart decisions uh, to do things that are pleasing to you, that glorify you, and that better your kingdom. We also want to pray for those who are sick. Uh, we especially want to pray for Miss Lori uh, with her medical procedure that needs to take place. And we want to pray that Jay's hand will heal up real quickly. Uh, we also want to just thank you for this time that you've given us together. Lord, your word is true and it lasts forever. Our problems and our concerns uh, fade and change, uh, but your word is always there. And so for the next few minutes, we seek to get into your word and to understand you better, to know you, to, to trust you, to have faith in you, to walk with you, uh, and to share you with others. So please be with us now in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in our class, we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. So the Gospels, which what are the Gospels? Who remembers? Uh, there's four books in the Bible in particular that are Gospels. What are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word Gospel means good news. And so through reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and actually the first two chapters of Acts, we get a, a understanding of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is eternal. He has been. He was the creator and he will be there at the end when when the last day comes but he uh humbled himself uh and clothed himself in human flesh and walked among us so that we could understand him so that we could know him uh, so that we could believe him and most importantly so that he could die in our place because adam sinned and we uh because of our sins are are required by god's uh promised by his eternal covenant that it, uh, if we sin we die and so in Adam we're all dead but Christ come to to uh, take upon himself the curse that was deserved of Adam and give us the opportunity to know eternal life and salvation again through his son and what he did for us so Jesus came to die for our sins he lived a perfect life he died a death uh, he took upon us uh, on a, upon himself our sins and died in our place so that we could know him and know eternal life. And as we study the life of Christ, one of the things we need to remember is uh, Jesus did live the, the exemplary life before us. Like he lived the perfect life before us. He gives us an example. Our problem is, is that we're not capable of walking perfectly in that example. And so when we study the earthly ministry of Jesus, we want to understand that he had come to establish his kingdom. To fulfill all of the promises of the Old Testament. And so as we've been going along, we've been seeing that. So uh, today I want to remind you that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom. 
And what did we say a kingdom is? Somebody remember, what is the word king? A domain. a domain. The king's domain. That's exactly right. So this is the place where the king rules. And who is the king? Jesus, Jesus right? If any of y'all ever heard Handel's Messiah? King of kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord of lords. Right? He's the king. And so this is his kingdom that he has established. And it's, it's within us and it's around us. And what we found out is, is that that kingdom was established in the earthly ministry of Christ. It was established before time ever began, right? In the eternal decree of God. And it is being established before our very eyes. And the problem is, is that we as human beings sometimes have a hard time seeing that kingdom being established. I want to remind you, when Jesus came, what were, what were, one of the reasons why the people rejected him. What was one of their reasons for rejecting him? Because they didn't understand like some of his teachings. Like, they didn't understand. Okay, good. They didn't understand his teachings. And so the Jewish people, what kind of Messiah were they looking for? They were looking for a Savior. They were looking for someone to come a and save them. A Lord, right? A warlord. Somebody to come in and conquer Rome. The, the, all of the people that were oppressing them and enslaving them. Right, They were looking for somebody to set them free from those problems, to set them free from their sickness. Right, they were, There were a lot of people that were possessed and paralyzed and had um, all kind of diseases. And they, they, were, they were looking for somebody to come in and heal them and save them from all of their problems. A lot like what we do today with our politicians and with the, with the, the medical world. and We're looking for somebody to come in and fix things and make it better for us. And one of the reasons why they rejected Jesus was because he came in and did things in a way that they couldn't understand and couldn't see. It was through dying that he gives life. That doesn't make sense to the human mind. How can he give life through dying? And through being conquered, he conquered. And so the parameters of his eternal kingdom did not fit within the parameters of what we think is a kingdom. He was establishing his kingdom before our very eyes, and many people missed it. And we are very guilty of doing the same thing today. Today, a lot of people run to Jesus because of the same reasons they ran to him then. They want a good meal, right? How many people wouldn't be at the church if they wasn't offering that Wednesday afternoon dinner? They're looking for somebody to uh, uh, pat them on the shoulder and tell them how right they are and how good they are. And Jesus didn't do that. He came in and He exposed our flaws and our weaknesses and all of our warts and all of our, our shortcomings. And most importantly, He came in and exposed our sinful hearts and minds. And that is something that we don't like to have exposed, right? When the lights come on, the cockroaches run. And it's the same way in me and you. When the lights come on in our heart, we tend to try to bury our flaws and our, our sin, our rebellion against God. And so he came to establish his kingdom. And when he came to establish his kingdom, he did it in a way that didn't make sense to most people. And it was appalling and appeal and not appealing to most. But for that small few, for the remnant, for his sheep, the ones who 
hear His voice, there was a beauty and an attraction there that the world couldn't understand or appreciate. And so last time we were together, we were in Luke chapter 10, studying the life of Christ. And Jesus sent his seven, or he sent 70 disciples out. So we talked about the defining the word kingdom is the king's domain. What did we say the word disciple means? Uh, a, follower. a follower. Someone who is under the discipline. discipline. There's another word that we don't like. Under the discipline of a teacher. Do you remember in uh, Psalms 23? It's one of our favorite psalms, isn't it? We always like to quote it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. And we, we think of all of the beauty in the provisions provided by the good shepherd to his sheep. But one of those provisions says, His rod and his staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And what we need to understand is the shepherd's rod is used to align the sheep to get them to follow in the right path, right? So when we were kids and our parent would take, my dad would take his belt off and say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. As a child, we couldn't understand that, could we? Because it was the back of my legs that were burning. But parents who discipline properly discipline us because they love us. It's to correct us and to show us that we've been wrong and that we need to be on the right path. And so one of the realities of the kingdom is that we are disciples and we are under the discipline of the Good Shepherd. Who the Lord loves, He disciplines, He corrects, He chastens. And what is our tendency as sheep, what is our tendency as children when we are confronted with discipline? Run. Run. Avoid it. We don't want it. I remember one time when I was a kid, um, I, uh, there was a wreck that happened down at the intersection in our neighborhood, and some people were very badly hurt. And there was fire trucks and police cars and all kind of things down there. And so, of course, being 12-year-old boys, me and my friends wanted to go down there and see what had happened. We wanted to see the sights, you know. Uh, and my dad, who was a doctor, had actually stopped by there and helped them uh, and got the people in the ambulance. But when he came home, he was telling us about it, and he told us, do not go down there. Stay away from there. Well, of course, as soon as he got upstairs, we ran. We went down to the wreck scene. We wanted to see the wreck and all of the things. Well, he found out about it, and so... Uh, he called us uh, from work and said that he was coming back home and that we needed to stay in our room until he got home. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Right, right. And so I remember going to my room and getting about six pair of pants and putting them on. <laughs> and I figured I'd pad myself when he came home to beat me. And come to find out, we didn't even get a beat and we just got a bad talking to. But I here, so I had to sit there through that bad talking to with six pair of pants on, thinking that I was six. But we don't like discipline. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be told what to do. Remember when G, we called Jesus Lord? That word Lord means He is the boss of us. And that is something none of us like. None of us like to have a boss. None of us like to be told what to do. Right? I don't even like being a boss. I don't like telling people what to do, generally because they don't do what I tell them to do anyhow, and that's frustrating in itself. But we don't like to be bossed around, do we? 
But if Jesus is truly Lord of our life, He is going to discipline us. He is going to boss us. He is going to tell us what to do. And as His sheep, how is it that He speaks to us and tells us what to do? Through the Bible. Through His Word. That's exactly right. That's the way you hear from Him. And even in that, we don't even like that, do we? We want some angel to come to us in a dream and tell us what to do. Or we want to have some vision or some assurity that what he's saying is true. But his word is true. And so he sent these 70 out and he, 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 he told them to go out. We talked last time we were together about how he told them not to carry a staff or any money with them and just to go. And wherever they were welcome, go there and present the gospel. And where they were not welcome to shake the dust off their feet and leave, right? And so he sent them out. And today we're going to talk about the results of the sending of those 70 disciples. So if you'll look with me in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 17. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 29. So let's read that together. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 29. It says this, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord... Even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this is the was, way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and the one who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to his disciples, he said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things you hear and did not hear them. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Uh, he said, uh, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so we're going to stop there at 24. We'll pick that up next time we're together, verses 25 through 29. We'll pick up that discussion uh, between this man and Jesus. But today we want to focus on verses 17 uh, to 24 in particular. Okay, so let's go back and, and find out what's going on here. Remember, Jesus has sent the disciples out, and now the first thing we see is in verse 17, they return with joy. Now, immediately we notice something happened, but we're not told what happened, are we? We're not told what they did when they went out. He didn't. He doesn't even bring that up. But what he does say is they return with joy. Now. What is joy? It is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering, right? Those are fruits of the Spirit. If God's Spirit lives inside of you, then it is going to be a fruition. It is going to be show in the fruits of your life. 
So if God lives within you, he's going to come out of you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then he's going to come out of you. And what are those again? Love, joy, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Also, right. So those are the fruits of the Spirit. So look at your life. When people look at you, when the world around you looks at you, what kind of fruit do they see coming out of your life? Right? Now, what are the, the, what are the uh, products of the flesh? Anger, wrath, envy, jealousy, strife, heresy, sedition, drunkenness. Right? Those are the kind of things. Anger. I can't tell you the number of times that people at my job, I just know that they think, well, I am angry. Like when things don't go my way, uh, I, I get a scowl on my face and I get very short with people. And I go off and do what I'm doing and try to ignore people. And there's anger. When things don't go my way, it shows on my face and in my words, doesn't it? Right? So... Anger is a product of my own, the own natural fallen man that I am. Joy, happiness, is a fruit of the Spirit. So, I am kind of bipolar in a sense, aren't I? I can show the works of the flesh, or I can allow the fruits of the Spirit to come out of me. If the fruits of the Spirit are coming out of me, then who's in control of my life? The Holy Spirit. God. That's exactly right. If the works of the flesh are coming out, who's running things? Me. Right. Now, again, I'm glad you brought that, Justin. You're right. The devil does use us, but we give him all the tools to work with. He might be a craftsman, and he might be very good at causing evil and disturbance and destruction, but we're the ones that give him the tools to do that. The book of James is saying, right, right, right. So the the devil made me do it is not an excuse. It's a lie. Right. I, I was just talking about this earlier this week with a friend of mine. Um, we have a tendency uh, as Christians to label our sin as mistakes. Oh, I made a mistake, and that's the wrong attitude to have about sin. It is not a mistake. It is a willful decision to do something that is contrary to God's will for your life. Right? I should have known better, but you didn't. You you knew exactly what you wanted to do. Yes, sir. All right. So I have an example of uh, behavior by the fruits of the spirit versus behavior of the flesh. So. There was an instance recently in Mendrez where I was a little bit rude with my words. You know, I'm like, pretty much in so many words, I'm like, go kill yourself. You know, yes, it's harsh. Yes, it's rude. Um, and I'm not justifying it, but I'm not justifying it, but I was, that was my colorful way of saying, like, if you're not serious about recovery, just move on and give your bed to someone else. And I'm saying, like, when I say kill yourself, not necessarily like literally go kill yourself. I mean, I know there's power in words. Um, I didn't mean it in this sense. I was trying to provoke into action. Um, whereas reminding you like, or reminding like, that addiction is death. You know what I'm saying? It's not, 
I don't know. So now I guess what I'm asking is, yes, those words were ruthless. Yes, it's a, um, a display of me acting in the fleshly realm or whatever. But how, instead of responding in anger, how can you, how, 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 what is a, a, I guess, a softer way, a more gentle way of being peaceful about this? Well, I mean, one of the first things that we need to do is we need to realize that uh, um, there was intent in your words. And what you say and your intent behind those words is up to the other individual that you're speaking to to receive them in whatever way they want. So even if your intent is not what it says, it can be taken at that intent to them. And so we just, um, so, you know, just remember what did Jesus say? He said, do unto others as you would have done unto you. I remember being at women's and uh, there were people and there were girls, two girls in our apartment. There was four in the apartment. And they just didn't want to be there. They had to be there because of probation and drug court. Right. And so, and, and I get exactly what I said in your head. You're thinking, just go tell yourself that if you don't want to be here, go back out there and do what you were doing. Are you happy like that? Because you're not. Right. So, but they weren't happy out there. Of course, you're not out happy out there in addiction. But you're not happy or even trying to get any help. <coughs> right. So you, but we need we need to remember that w- you do not have the the power of your words don't have the power to change anybody. Oh my God, praise God. <laughs> the power of your words you you don't have the power to change anybody. All right. But but you do need to remember that you don't have the power to change anybody, but God's words do. And another thing you need to remember is this. The shortcomings that you see in others are in you. They are. And that's what, most of the time, that's why it's frustrating. Because deep down, we see ourselves in them. And it's not them we're attacking, it's ourselves. So how would a better way to handle that situation have Paul Paul said something, Paul was talking, and... He says, remember those who are in chains as if you were bound with him. Now, he was actually talking about somebody who was arrested and in jail. Yeah. Remember what... addiction of being chained. Right, right. Remember them, those who are in chains as if you, as if you are chained with them. And if my attitude is, but for the grace of God go okay. I, then I'm not going to attack them with my words. Maybe they just if I if I ever realize that when you see that person, if you can realize that God pulled you out of those same circumstances, True. and that it was through His love and through His mercy and His grace that He did that, through His word, through His truth that He did that, then you will realize that the person that you are attacking or talking to, the only thing that's going to rescue them from those bonds is grace and truth. So be graceful, gracious. And be truthful with them. So, so, so if you get frustrated with somebody because they're not trying to get out of the situation they're in, instead of saying you're not trying, say, I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. That's, uh, yeah, right? that's much better. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you and, and God was the answer for me. So if, if it comes up again, that's what it, tell him. I've been there, but Jesus saved me from that position. So I want, I want to get better. It's it's not easy. I get it. 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 I get it.
No, it's the thing. What what really got me was I'm sorry. I think I let it fester up versus addressing the issue right there too. And so, but I definitely hear everything that you all are saying. I definitely. It's it's hard. So we have to remember that people are not perfect, and we're not either. Right. And not. generally, when we're seeing shortcomings in others, we can use that as a gift from God to, to recognize those shortcomings in us. So let me give you an example. Of that. <clears throat> let me give you an example of that. So one of one of the things that I love to talk about in social media is eschatology. That's like the thing, the last days. Like what's going to happen in the last days? Is there going to be a rapture? Is there going to be a, a day of judgment? And so I get into discussions all the time. So I used to, I grew up as a person who believed in a secret rapture and that the Jews and the and and the church are two separate people and that God was going to have a seven-year period where he's just going to deal with the Jewish people and then he's going to establish it. Like, there's all kind of things about that that I used to believe that I don't believe anymore. But I love to get into discussions and debates with people who still believe that way, like my mom or a lot of my dear brothers in Christ. And oftentimes it ends in us butting heads and arguing because I'm right and they're wrong. And they feel the same way. Right. Well, I have another friend of mine uh, who is, uh, he, he believes in a certain eschatology that is, that is bordering on heretical. All right, I'm not going to get into details about it. It's called preterism, full preterism. He believes that Jesus came back and judged the world in 70 AD when they conquered Rome and that there's not going to be any second coming of Christ and that there's not going to be a bodily resurrection. All right, so, okay, all right. Here's the point. I, the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make from that. This guy has it constantly gets into our feeds, into our discussions, and throws his eschatological viewpoints into the discussion, and causes us to go chasing off into other areas that I don't even want to be in. But in the past few weeks, I have noticed how irksome. And how persistent he is in pushing his view across. And what it's forced me to do is realize that I'm coming away across the same way to my friends and my family. Wow. You see? So God used that for learning to For, for you. me. Because the reality wow. is, the, the reality is, the the smartest people in the Bible that thought they had it all figured out and knew exactly how the kingdom was going to come about missed it. They were wrong, yeah. And so there are certain things that we just don't know. And for me to stand on my little soapbox and try to show everybody else they're wrong is the wrong attitude to have. Now, is there anything in the world wrong with discussion theology or eschatology or ecclesiology or... Uh, anything like any of the any of God's kingdom is there anything wrong with discussing those things no, no. no. because the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron right like the, the weird, we, we should come and reason together to, to, to work out what's true and Paul even tells us that in the Bible that there are going to be all kind of heretical things come up in the church there's going to be all kind of wackadoo ideas come out about and there's a reason for that is so that the truth can be proved. It's so that what is really right can be shown to be right and those things can be shown to be wrong. So there's nothing in the world wrong with discussing and debating and, and having your viewpoints and your point of views. 
So amongst all those different view, viewpoints, the truth is in there somewhere, yes. and it gives people time yeah. to... But here's the point. The point I'm trying to make is this. When we get to the point where we're trying to prove ourselves right instead of proving God right, we're in trouble. Because He is right. And all of our opinions and all of our viewpoints are going to fall to the side to His glory. And so I bring that up. Right. I bring that up because each and every one of us in here are guilty of being selfish and being self-centered, self-willed, self-righteous. That's one of the works of the flesh, right? And so we can take that and learn from it. I can't tell you the number of people I, that at my work that just get on my nerves because they goof off. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They call out sick. They don't show up when they're supposed to. They're late. They leave early, etc., etc., and why am I mad about it? Because it puts more pressure on me, right? But the reality is, I catch myself all the time goofing off. How many times do I stop and look at my phone and see what's going on in the world, you know, instead of working? Right. Like, and so the point is, do you, right? <laughs> and, uh, like, do you. You can't change other people. The only thing that is going to change other people is the grace and the truth of God's word. So know it and share it and live it. I don't know how we got off. That was a good rabbit to get off into, I guess. All right. So we need to remember that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. They were happy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Right? The demons are fallen angels. Uh, they're, they're the ones that do Satan's bidding. And they're alive and well and real. But it says even the demons are subject to his name. And he said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So what does this show us? If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, uh, the, the first mention of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. And it says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. What it means is, is that the one would come who would destroy Satan and his kingdom. Satan came and established his kingdom in the garden. And Adam and Eve turned from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of Satan. And now Satan has been established in his kingdom all of these years. But the reality is, is God is coming to to thwart that, to, to uh, reclaim the kingdom of God in this fallen world. And it's been taking place before our very eyes since the very beginning. Like the moment that Adam fell, God began the immediate reestablishing of his kingdom. And it's coming to fruition. It has already been established because it was decreed before time ever existed. And it will be established in its final consummation on the last day, right? His kingdom come, his will be done on earth. So that kingdom is being built before our very eyes. And it's hard for us to see that. But what Jesus says is, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. So Jesus is revealing to us a vision of the destruction of Satan and his kingdom. It's falling. And when is that going to happen? Well, it's actually already happened at the cross. He took the power of the devil away, which was the power of death. It is being established before our very eyes, right? So there's a... a it was established, it is being established, and it will be established. 
right? Can you see that in the kingdom of God? It was established before time ever began. God said, my kingdom will stand. It is being established right now. And one day it will be physically and spiritually established for all to see. And so when Jesus says he saw Satan falling like lightning, it was a vision of the kingdom of the devil being destroyed. And I want you to notice it is being established right now, and it was being established at this very moment. So what had his disciples gone out and done? They went and healed people. They showed signs that the kingdom was coming, but there was something more important than just healing people. Creating more disciples. Uh, yes, that's very true. But what did they go out to do? Witness. Witness and to proclaim the kingdom of God. So how is the kingdom of the devil, how is the devil being destroyed? How is his kingdom collapsing? It's through the proclamation of the gospel. So Jesus is saying, as you went out and you did what I told you to do, you proclaimed the gospel. As you proclaimed the gospel, I saw Satan falling like lightning. Do you remember Jesus said at one time, he, uh, they, they, remember they accused Jesus of being demon possessed? Yeah. And and when, remember what Jesus said to him? He said, "How can Satan cast out Satan?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logic. That's good logic, right? Yeah. He said, "If Satan cast himself out, then he's destroying himself." House divided cannot stand. Uh, right. And so remember, he said that. And so we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom is being established, and the way that it is being established is. The strong man is being bound and his goods are being plundered before him. Remember Jesus used that example. He said, how can you go in and steal the strong man's stuff unless you first bind the strong man? In other words, just saying you have a big guy, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Andre the Giant, you have a, uh, the Hulk, you have a big guy and he owns all of these possessions. He's not going to let you just walk into his house and take his stuff from him. He will beat you down. So what is you? What do you have to do in order to get the strong man stuff? You have to bind the strong man. What does that mean? Time down, render him incapacitated. And so what did Jesus do on the cross? He bound the strong man. He tied Satan up where he couldn't do anything. He took his power away from him. What was his power? The power of death. He took it away from him at the cross. He did it. And it is, it's happened and it's been established so the kingdom has been established. So when he says he bound the strong man and went in and plundered his goods, what is his goods? Well, remember the devil has a kingdom and he is the strong man in that kingdom. And what did Jesus do when he came down to this earth and clothed himself in humanity? He came into his arena, to the devil's arena, and he conquered him through death and bound him, and now he is plundering the strong man's house. What does that mean? He's taking all of his valuables. Well, who do you think the valuables are that he, that Jesus has taken out of the devil's kingdom? Us. Us. And how is he doing that? Through a proclamation of the gospel. So you see what they're saying, the seven return of joy. Lord, even the demons are, are subject to your name. Now remember, your name being the promise and the truth of God. The name of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that, guys, it doesn't mean you can run around and be binding the devil in Jesus' name. 
That's not what that means. It don't mean you run around and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. Satan is the most powerful being in all of creation. Wait, well, let me rephrase that. Satan is the most powerful created being in all of creation. You don't just run around as a human being and bind him and tell him, I bind you in the name. He will laugh at you. The name of Jesus is the promise and the truth of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus is God. That's the name that binds the devil. And so when we stand in Jesus' name, which means stand in His promises, stand in His truth, stand in His providence, stand in His will, then we have the power that we need to conquer. But we also need to remember this. In the Bible, Jesus' conquering looked a lot like being conquered, didn't it? And we're going to continue to see that as we we go on through here. That don't make sense. How can the weak and the poor and the broken and the maimed and the blind and the halt and the lame conquer this powerful being? It's through the power of Jesus that we do that, right? So he said, even the demons are subject to our names. And Jesus said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemies, and nothing will injure you. So he's given us this power. Now, there are people up in the mountains in north Georgia that will have church services, and they get rattlesnakes and pass them around to each other in the church service. It's a church that did that for real? Yeah, they're, they're snake handling churches. They handle poisonous snakes. And if the snake bites him, they say that it won't hurt us. And if the people die from the snake bite, they say, well, they were sinful and they didn't have the truth. You see? All right. Now, I want you to turn with me really quickly back to the temptation of uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, we can we can stay in Luke if you want. I think it's. Let me let me get there. Luke chapter four. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for forty days he was being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing. During those days, when he when those days had ended, he was hungry, and the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of Man, tell those stones to become bread. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. He led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said, I will give you domain and its glory, for it has all been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, it shall be yours. Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you on your way, and on their hands you will not you will they will bear you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Alright, so the devil is tempting Jesus, and one of the temptations was this. If you really are the Son of God, jump off the top of this building and let the angels catch you. Because there's a promise in the Old Testament that says that if the angels will keep you from even bumping your foot on a stone. Like, in other words, if you truly are God's Son, then the angels are going to protect you and there's nothing that can happen to you. So show me you're the Son of God. Jump off of this building and let me see the angels catch you. Who's ready? 
All right. Now, why do I bring that up? What did Jesus say? Do not put the Lord God to the test. So what does that mean? Don't handle snakes. Right. You don't need to handle snakes to prove that you're a child of God. You don't need to handle nothing to prove that you're a child of God. That's exactly right. But I want you now, let's go back and look really quickly. We're going to run out of time today. But let's go back to Psalms 91 because that is where Jesus is quoting. Actually, it's where the devil's quoting. Remember, the devil knows the Bible just as good as you and I do. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And Psalms 91 talks about the people who put their trust in God will be safe. All right. And I want you to look um, very quickly at verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. It says, No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent, you will trample them down. All right. Now, that promise says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It means that if I walk in God's promises... If I walk in the power of the name of Christ, in the shadow of the Almighty, He's got me under His wings, then these things are provided for me. These protections are provided for me. He will, uh, no plague will come near your tent. What's a plague? A disease. Mm-hmm. All right. So, does that mean that as a child of God, I am constantly protected from every kind of sickness and disease, yeah. that I will not get sicker? No. And that's certainly done. And uh, He says, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways so that you will bear you they will bear you up in your hand that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So what he's saying is the angels will protect you and keep you from hurting yourself. The devil quotes this verse to Jesus. The devil takes the Bible and quotes the Bible at Jesus and said, "Hey, if you really are the son of God, jump off here and show me." Because God promised if you're his son that he's going to protect you and his angels will catch you and you won't hit the ground. So show me. All right? So the devil quotes the verse that says, you will not strike your foot against a stone. But I want you to notice that the devil stopped this quote before he got to verse 13. Look what it says. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. What does it mean to tread on something? So, the devil says, hey, the angels will protect you from even hurting your feet. But then he cuts his quote off. Because the very next verse promises that the foot of the Son of God will stomp the serpent. Will stomp the lion. Who is the serpent and the lion? Satan. Satan, that's exactly right. Satan and and the lion. Right. Now, let's go back to our verses that we're studying here. Look what it says. It says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, right? And nothing will injure you. So he has given the disciples the authority to walk over the devil's kingdom. Serpents, scorpions, lions are all things that can do what? 
Hurt, harm. hurt us and but harm us. They say that we won't be harmed. Our salvation will not be harmed. That's exactly right. And our eternal life. Right. So had there well let, let's let, let's think about treading on lions. <clears throat> do, do you think that during the uh, uh, do you, do you think that when the Romans were persecuting Christians and throwing them into the lions in the Colosseum, did those Christians stand up and walk all over those lions? No. No, they got they ate. Eaten. They got they ate. Dinner. Right. But remember, the kingdom of God conquers through conquering or, or being conquered. The the kingdom of God conquers through being conquered. So as soon as those lions grasp the throats of those Christians and rip their throat out, they stepped into their eternal home. They won. Now to the world that was in that Colosseum watching that, what happened to those people? They died. They died. Dust. Done. And not only that, the God that these Christians were trusting in couldn't protect them. That's what the world in that Colosseum saw down in, on that field. But what did those Christians who died see? They saw Jesus and the eternal kingdom being completely established before their eyes and their hearts. You see? So it was through being conquered that they conquered. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We are given the power to walk over the things of this world that would hurt us. And no matter what happens, we win. We win. Right? Vegas would never give odds on us. We would be the consummate zero chance of winning. And yet we know we have zero chance of losing. Right, zero. But to the world around us, it's going to look like we lose. All right, so we got we got like two minutes left. All right. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So we're not supposed to get all thrilled and and all excited about the fact that the devil falls before us. We're supposed to get excited about the fact that our names are written in heaven. It's kind of sad that the most beautiful angel yeah. fell to yep. the earth. Yep. Ooh. So, we need to remember that a part of this is a warning against self-exaltation. It's not about you. So we, th- we think we've defeated Satan, but really God is defeating him. It's him, him defeating him. Right. It's not our victory, it's his. And what is, it, what, is the, what is the weapon that he has given us to fight him? The sword, the word, the word of God. That is what we've been given to fight him. And the world around us is not going to understand it. Most of the time, not even we are going to be able to understand it. But God wins. So... Next time we get back together, we'll, we'll look, before we get into the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we do want to look, next time we get together, Jesus is going to say, if you see in verse 21, uh, at this time he, re, he rejoiced, he said, I praise you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, but you have revealed them in it. So we're going to find out what a special gift we have been given to be able to see the things of the kingdom of God, to be able to be a part of that kingdom. 
we're going to see what a special privilege that is as we get back together. And we need to remember that as we walk out of here today. You have been given a gift that the world will not understand and will not appreciate and will not ever care for. But you have also been given a command to go out and to rescue the others around you that have been bound by the straw man. You, you have given, been given the power, the authority, and the ability to go out and help others escape uh, the clutches of Satan. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, I want you all, got all of you guys and ladies, to have a happy uh, Merry Christmas and a happy New Year. I'll see you all come January. I do hope that you all remember that during this Christmas season that uh, Jesus is the reason. And uh, you all go out and, and be what he's called you to be. Amen? All right, let's close with a quick prayer, and then we're done. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for loving us enough to give us your grace and your mercy and your truth. Help us to take that grace, mercy, and truth and live it in our lives and to share it with others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.